Tonight, the news we wanted to see. The rate of inflation dropped again. You're listening to Simply Money presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Steve Sprovec along with Steve Ruby. Ruby, these were good numbers. It, this was this was important. I mean, we get wrapped up over inflation. It determines what the Fed is going to do. Oh, yeah. And we were expecting a decent drop in inflation. And it actually, the numbers came in below our best ex- ex- expectations. Yeah, we got, the, we got the decent drop and more. So yeah, what, exactly. What we're talking about is headline inflation rate or, or CPI, which is the amount we paid for everything in, in June, was 3% higher than last June. Now, that doesn't sound very nice when I say it that way. It was 9% last year. Exactly. That's why this it's is great good. news. Because yeah. in, in May, even, the rate was 4%. So 3% is actually the lowest rate since March yeah. of 2021. This is awesome. And and we were, you know, when I saw that the estimate was, okay, we should expect the number to come in around 3.1. I'm thinking to myself, well, it was 4% last month. That's a big That's drop. A stretch. That, that would be really nice. But, you know, if it's 3.3 3 or 3.0, 3.4. I guess that's okay. And here it comes in at 3.0. Nice. The markets have liked it so far. Well, that's going to happen. It sure you is. Know, yeah. That's going to happen. R- remember, the headline inflation rate accounts for everything that we buy. Yeah. So the, the main reason for the lower in- inflation rate is grocery and gas prices went down. So huge monthly increases in the consumer prices back in 2022, those have actually dropped out of the yearly calculation for inflation as well. Exactly. Yeah, we're getting a little bit more than a year, so Mm -hmm. those really bad numbers are falling off. Yeah, that's a good thing. But core inflation, yeah, we're making improvements, but not quite down to 3% yet. Yeah, core inflation. So this is where it's without grocery and gas prices. And this is the rate that the Fed prefers. Yeah. yeah. Grocery and gas prices, they can be very volatile month to month. So they're going to look at something with a little bit less volatility. And and that rate sits at at 4.8%. Yeah, and, and that's higher than we would want to see it. They want that rate down to two percent, which I, I it'll get there, but it's going to take but, a lot. But still, more time. good news, Steve, because it's it's trending down. Well, that's the whole point. And, and you know, people will say, "Well, wait a second. It's not like we don't eat and we don't drive. Yeah. Why don't we include that? It's just if the price of gas drops thirty cents a gallon for whatever reason, uh, and everything else, when you go to Kroger, you spend an extra fifty bucks more than you were expecting. Okay, as far as you're concerned. Things are getting worse, and and that's why you strip out these these costs uh, of food and gas that bounce all over the yep. place. You know, it, it just gives you a more realistic idea of what what the real trend is. So, okay, that that's getting better, but not quite where we want it. Yeah, with I'm, that in mind, what I'm do you still think? Happy with that? What do you think the Fed's going to do on July? Uh, oh, it's 25th, a given. Twenty six. Yeah. It's a given at this point. It, it's a yeah. given. Yeah, they they meet uh, actually two weeks from today, uh, July twenty fifth and twenty sixth. Two weeks from today is the twenty sixth, um, and that's when they make their announcement. Usually about two in the afternoon. Uh, no question in my mind, they're going to do a quarter percent increase, which I'm not sure they need to do anymore, but it's not like they're going to ask me what I think. No, they're you not. Know? I mean, they don't listen Shocking. to this show and take what we say into yeah, consideration. You know, at some point, you've got to believe when the Fed says, oh, we're going to do two more rate increases this year, you got to believe that there's a good likelihood that they're going to do two more rate increases. Yeah, you don't say. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, and, and, and you know, the point I, I think we should make is, Wall Street has already pretty much baked in that as a given. The assumption and, about the yeah. In the, other words, the, the only surprise would be if they don't, which would be a heck of a nice surprise. But you know, it's not going to happen. I I think it's pretty much a given. Another quarter of a percent increase in uh, interest rates, July twenty six. So why do you think that the core 
rate is, is being stubborn at this point and sticking. Yeah, you know, there's two things going on that are making it real tough. And, and, and that's a good, good question. One of them is uh, wage inflation. I, I mean, the job market is crazy tight, and I yeah. don't think that's going to change anytime soon. I think that's more a function of demographics. There aren't as many working age people, and there's a whole bunch of older people that are retired that still want to go out to dinner and do things like that. So I, I think wage inflation is pretty much stuck, and that's one of those inflation numbers that it doesn't come down quickly mm. at all. And, and it could go into a death spiral and make things really bad. So I'm, I'm kind of encouraged it's not that. But the, the, other, the, other, the other shelter. Housing. Housing, yeah. Yeah, so housing costs, it's the single biggest influence on inflation. And, and that's not slowing quite as quickly as they had expected. You, you know what's crazy is, and we've talked about this, Cincinnati is one of, in, in some months, the hottest market in the country for housing. I, I think the average number of days a house is on the market in Cincinnati right now is about three days. That's so nice. if something's on the market more than a, a week or two, it's either got major issues going on or it's severely overpriced or, or both. But I, I mean, little Cincinnati, you, you know, the hottest real estate market. I think part of that is you got a lot of people with 30-year mortgages at, you know, 2.8, 2.9%. Mm -hmm. They don't want to give that up and take out a seven. I, I mean, 30-year mortgages are up around 7%. Yeah, it's a monster know? compared to what people have grown used to over exactly. these last Exactly. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC. I'm Steve Sprovec along with Steve Ruby, and we're talking about the inflation numbers that came out this morning and why they are so good. And that's a trend that I hope continues. But I want to talk about a couple of other things before we break here. And one of them is um, the chairman, uh, or I'm sorry, the president of the New York Federal Reserve. Um, his name is John Williams. He just went on the record. He had an interesting interview and he doesn't not only think that the U.S. economy is going to slow down and, and hit its weakest point until next year, he's not even sure we're going to have a recession. You might ask who cares what he thinks, but he's actually a key advisor yeah. and, and has the ear of, of Fed Chair Jerome Powell. Yeah. So he said at the beginning of this year, he was thinking that 2023, we, we would see some of the weakest growth. But that changed after the first quarter growth came in above 2%. In other words, he was wrong, and he pivoted about what he was going to say. Uh, well, so, I, I'll give him a break, though, because sure. you know you, you, we want them to make some predictions. We want to have an idea of where they stand. But they, you know, the smart people make no bones about it. If the data changes, my opinion is going to change. Yeah, and there's right. new data coming in every day on the economy from all different directions. Some good, some bad, some most of it somewhere in the middle. But you know what? I give them credit for for saying, hey, you know, and the numbers weren't. Uh, we saw the first quarter GDP in the United States over 2%. Yeah. And he's saying we may actually finish out this year at a little bit better than 1%. Now, that's not, you know, fantastic 3 or 4% growth. But when the Fed is trying to slow down the economy with, you know, the last big slowdown and rate hike increase that happened in the late 70s and early 80s, throwing us into not one, but two brutal recessions. If we can pull this off without a recession and get just decent, maybe 1%, 1.25% growth in the economy and get inflation and down to 2%. Down. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, you're, you're just nailing it. Yeah, we'll see. So he's more in the uh, the thought that there's going to be that soft landing that everybody has been hoping for and that the, the Fed has been chasing. Yeah, that's where they, they do bring down inflation without tanking the economy. And, and that's what this gentleman thinks. 
Yeah. And and I'll tell you what else I, I was reading is uh, you've got the uh, Minneapolis uh, Fed president. Uh, his name is Cash Carey. Um, he's talking about, you know what? We've had some issues in the banking sector. And uh, I think we need to start changing the stress testing that we're going to be doing for banks to include higher inflation and higher interest rates. What what a shock. Yeah, you, you know, that, <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, here's here's the Federal Reserve in charge of interest rates and they run stress tests. And this is the big knock that that happened with the California banks that went under uh, just a couple of months ago that the stress test, which they passed, did not include a scenario for higher interest rates. And, and that, to me, is just mind-boggling that the Fed, who changes interest rates, doesn't protect the economy by stress-testing banks on higher interest rates. It, it blows me yeah, away. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those things where regulations get a bad name, but but when... when you got to have some. Yes, exactly. When, when we're talking about the banking industry, there has to be some. And, and these banks make no... No doubt about it. They're yeah. still going to make money even when they face regulations. Yeah. But the point here is to make sure that they're not making greedy, risky decisions that can put the entire bank at risk, just yeah. like SVB, for example. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I, I'm the last guy that says we need a ton of regulations. But all you have to do is look at the cryptocurrency market to see what happens when there's no regulation. Yeah, we're going to be talking about that coming yeah, up. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know, so what's interesting is a guy named Michael Barr. He's the vice chairman for supervision at the U.S. Federal yes. Reserve. So in other words, he's the guy, um, vice chair. I suppose he's not completely in charge, but you know, he's a pretty important guy. Um, he's in charge of making sure the banks are solvent, that they are safe. And he's talking about... Um, and proposing that we enhance risk-based capital rules to the big banks so that we increase their amount of reserves. It's, it's a fancy way of saying, yeah, we want uh, the big banks to have more cash on hand in case things happen with the economy. Yeah. He's the same guy. I mean, that's that's in charge of supervision. Same guy that was asleep at the switch when Signature Bank and SVP went, went under. You know, So to me, him saying you need more cash on hand um, a little bit late. Yeah. And, and some of these, keep in mind that some of these uh, risk-based ca capital rules that Steve's talking about, the, the threshold is currently a bank that has $700 billion in assets. Yeah. So these are the big these players yeah. that actually have some of these regulations. What Michael Barr, the the, the vice chair of supervision, again, for the Fed is, is advocating for, and it's a multi-year effort, is to have the same rules for banks that have $100 billion yeah. or more. So this is going to include some of those mid-sized banks that they didn't really think could have that much of an effect on the economy if they went under. Yeah. But we had this banking crisis that threw a wrench in some of the plans that the Fed had with with raising interest rates. And that's fine. You want to have more cash on hand. Tell you what, that it's going to hurt the profits of the bank. Because yeah, but they're still fine. These other these big banks are, are making it just fine. These yeah, mid-sized yeah, banks yeah, are going to I, make it just fine. I suppose, but these, I... I just want to see a more real-world test. Of, well, these, these same regulations existed in the past. That $100 billion yeah. threshold existed yeah. in the past. They got rid of the regulations, and then this happened. So this guy just wants to bring it back. Uh, okay, but um, don't you think they need to do a little bit more? When you have huge banks go under in the space of, what, about three weeks? We had three major U.S. banks yep. go under. To me, whatever the system is, it tells me they're not doing their job. It needs to be fixed, and, and let's address it. So... You people like you and me don't have to worry about. I wonder if my bank's okay. Yeah, and this this is where I I'm in the the, the ballpark of you know some regulation is good. Yeah, no question.
Coming to a 401k near you, cryptocurrency. Oh boy, we're going to talk about that next. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money, presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Steve Sprovac, along with Steve Ruby. Hey, if you can't listen to Simply Money every night, subscribe to get our daily podcast. You can listen the next day during your commute, at the gym, whatever you happen to be doing. And if you think you've got some friends that could use some advice, tell them too. Just search Simply Money on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Straight ahead of 643, ways to get the most from Social Security. And it might not be what you think. I think you're going to enjoy some of the ideas we've got. All right, Ruby. So federal regulators, first it was Wells Fargo. Now they're going after Bank of America for pretty much the same thing. Allegedly, well, Bank of America is being uh, forced to pay over $100 million to customers for allegedly charging illegal junk fees, withholding credit card rewards, and opening fake accounts. I, know, I that's can't believe this. I know, that's exactly what it was for it's Wells ridiculous. Fargo. Yeah. And then, oh boy, that's just... I hate hearing stuff like that. Well, they have it, sales contests. Why exactly. do you have a sales contest at a bank? You're, some teller is going to be saying, you know what? I could use a, an extra 25 bucks and yeah, maybe I'll. Uh, yeah, I can win this by opening yeah, bank exactly. accounts for clients that didn't know they're getting a bank account. That is just such a terrible thing Allegedly. Allegedly. I mean, the, they're, they're being forced to pay. That's $100 million. Well, That's big yeah, money. It, well, dep it depends on who you're talking to. If you're talking to Bank of America, not so much. They're, they're a publicly traded company. Yeah. So I looked, and in 2022, revenue was 92 billion. Net wow. profit, 26 wow. billion. Okay. So you so know, this is like you they, or me. Do they take saying, that hundred hey, million give, out of it? Give, yeah. give me two bucks, and yeah, okay, yeah, whatever. Not yeah. even. It, it, it's it's nothing. But the, but the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau (CFPB) uh, said in a statement on Tuesday that the bank was ordered to pay an additional 90 million dollars in penalties. Okay. Uh, to the CFPB, and then $60 million in penalties to the Office of Comptroller of the Currency. Plus $100 million to customers. Yes. Crazy. Have yeah, you, it is. Yeah. It, I mean, we're, we're talking, I don't know why they don't learn their lessons, but they, they've got 68 million customers. I, I think they own Merrill Lynch, don't they? Yeah, they Bank do. of America. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, this is a huge, huge company, but apparently, allegedly, they were doing some bad things and I don't yeah, care if $100 million is a drop in the bucket to them. It's a lot of money. Yeah, it, it was targeting people that that and double double dipping on the fees imposed to uh, individuals that had insufficient funds in their accounts. So the people so those that, are those that overdraft. The people that are broke got hit twice. Yeah, they're getting hit with a $35 Super. overdraft fee. And then again, and sometimes even again on top of it. Okay. Uh, coming to a 401k near you. Cryptocurrency. I, I I have a hard time believing this with all the problems going on and all the risk in the cryptocurrency world. Um, despite all the danger, it could be mainstream. And it looks to me like BlackRock is trying to be first in line to have an ETF that may become available in your 401k. Yeah, they're leading the charge on that. The, BlackRock is the world's largest asset manager, and they did file an application with the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission. Yeah to create uh, an, an exchange-traded fund that would be available inside of your employer-sponsored retirement savings plan. Now, following suit in that, Invesco, WisdomTree, Valkyrie, Bitwise... Oh, they're all going to get in on the act. Of course they yeah. are. They want to make money off of people that are investing in, in, in Bitcoin inside of their 401k. This scares me, though. This, uh, you, you think? 
yeah, this is one of those things where, you know, folks that I've worked with before they worked with me, I've, I've run into several situations where when they enroll in their 401k for the first time, they look at the investment mixes and they see the ones that perform the best and yeah. they put all their money in. Oh, this one went up 30% last year. Why? I'd be crazy not to put all my money in it. Yes. And when you have a volatile yeah. investment yeah. option like one that's backed by, by Bitcoin, yeah. you're going to have some periods of time that look pretty nice. But you're also going to have periods of time where that goes down very, very quickly. Yeah, anything that goes up a ton can go down a ton. That, that That's the bottom line. You know, I, I learned a long time ago, just because there's a mutual fund or an exchange-traded fund that invests in a certain sector doesn't mean it's a good area to invest in. I mean, mutual fund companies and exchange-traded tra- uh, fund companies, they don't make their money on performance. They make their money on the amount of dollars in that investment. Yeah, so the, the expense ratio. Yeah, inside so of the fund. exactly. So if they're charging one percent and there's a hundred million dollars in it, well, guess what? They're making a lot of money. If there's a billion dollars in it, they're making ten times more. Yep. You know, so it, it's really a, a, if you see a new ETF or a new mutual fund, it's really targeted by the marketers. It's not necessarily targeted by the smart people that say, this is this is a great area we want to invest in. And with the interest in cryptocurrency, you can bet you're going to see some of these show up in your 401ks. Question I've got is, all right, the, your employer has a fiduciary responsibility to, to watch over the investment choices in your 401k. If they put cryptocurrency there and somebody loses a lot of money, are they going to be at risk? So Franklin, that's where, that's where it gets dicey. It is a really good question because there's a fiduciary responsibility on your employer to ensure that they give you options that can help you fulfill your financial goals based on the investments that are available. Franklin Templeton, they appear optimistic about, about adding a a Bitcoin ETF into portfolios, making it a regular port of portfolios once regulations become clear. Okay. So, you know, again, I I hate always talking about regulations, but this is one of those areas where it does make sense. Well, and and you're going to have some employees say, hey, I want you to add that to my plan. That's something I think is a a smart place to put my money. And and they're going to be under pressure to put these in 401ks. I'd be surprised if they don't. But my guess is they're going to wait for a little more regulation because you don't need an FTX situation. Exactly. Again. Then then there's a, an issue with risk on the employer offering 401ks exactly. to the employees. Okay. Speaking of FTX, man, there was an article in the New York Times that, that really went into detail about the implosion of FTX. FTX is the big exchange of cryptocurrency that went under. It was uh, Sam Bankman Fried. Sam Bankman Fried. Yeah, Sammy Boy. He's... Uh, uh, man, that thing blew up and, and Tom Brady, you know, we, we, we've <laughs> talked about Tom Brady was fronting for him. You know, he was basically saying this is a good investment. And when FTX went kablooey, you know, we were talking about Tom Brady lost $30 million, which to Tom Brady, maybe not is not a ton of money, but it's still not a good day. And then I read in this New York times article, well, actually when he was touting FTX, he got paid $30 million in F, mostly FTX stock. So basically, when that money went out the window, he worked, he, for, he free. worked for free. Yeah, he's it's already a mega nothing, millionaire. It's no, it was nothing out of his pocket to speak Yeah, of. there's celebrities that can, can afford to take on some of this higher risk. Some others got that got looped into endorsements from FTX or Paris Hilton, Snoop Dogg, Reese Witherspoon, Matt Damon, Shaq, Lindsay Lohan. The list goes on. These people can afford to take the risk, especially when they were paid in FTX stock. Yeah. 
It just means they worked for free. They still got their millions. But they talked the average person into doing it, and some of these people got hurt pretty bad. Yeah, and here's the, the key takeaway is making sure that you aren't taking unnecessary risk that you can't afford. Here's the all worth advice. Millionaire celebrities, yeah, they can afford to dance with, with this kind of danger, but most of us can't and could end up making the worst financial decisions of our lives. Coming up next, what you can learn from retirees' regrets. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money, presented by All Worth Financial. I'm Steve Sprovac, along with Steve Ruby. You know, Ruby, there's a line in Frank Sinatra's song, My Way, that goes, regrets, I've had a few. I know you wanted me to sing that. You said you were going to sing it. No, it's not going to happen. Oh, come on. No. Uh, many retirees, yeah, they say the same thing. Some of their regrets can become your lessons. I've talked a lot about my dad and, and some of the mistakes he made. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's fairly common that when people retire, especially when it wasn't necessarily their choice, it was their company's choice, um, you're not quite ready for it emotionally, financially, all of the above. And there are some things that we can take a look at that if you haven't retired yet, maybe you want to listen to some of these ideas and not have these regrets. Yeah, good idea. So University of Michigan survey, uh, this was a health and retirement study for Americans over the age 50 that was recently conducted, uh, shared that that nearly six out of 10 participants regretted not saving more for retirement. I, I, I think everybody wishes they had more money. You of know? course, yeah. yeah. Four in 10 regretted not buying long-term care insurance. That surprised that? me. That really did, because I, I think the numbers are only 7% of retirees have long-term care. So in other words, a lot of people are realizing, uh, I don't have Oops. it, I wished I did. It's just, it, yeah, it, it could be a whole segment in and of itself, because that's one of those things where it's it, it's expensive. Well, I, I mean, let's talk about, okay, I, I wish I had more money. I, I think, and, and we talk about the 4% rule, the 4% guideline, but look, you know, I want to throw out some numbers. A million dollars is a lot of money, okay? But if you've got a million dollars in your 401k, IRA, all of the above, that's $40,000 a year you can draw out on an annual basis, Mm -hmm. and chances are not even come close to ever running out of money. $40,000 a year on top of Social Security is a pretty good number for most people, but most people don't. They don't have a million dollars in retirement. I, I think if that's your target to at least have thirty or forty thousand dollars of additional income, you've got to figure out, okay, how old am I right now? How old do I hope to be when I retire? Mm-hmm. What do I need to change so that I do have a million dollars? And a good business calculator, financial calculator can give you that answer. Yeah, or a, it's not a person to work with, a fiduciary financial well, yeah, planner. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, a big part of what, what we do in the industry is making sure that people don't have these regrets. Yeah. So, you know, four in 10 regretted not working longer, according to this study. Now, it didn't specify if it was because they didn't save enough or because they got bored. Right. Two in 10 regretted taking Social Security too early. Yeah, and that's one of those things. Yeah, you've got a year, and most people don't realize this. If you draw Social Security early and say, you know what, I shouldn't have done that, you've got up to a year after your first payment where you can pay Social Security that money back and say, oops, sorry, make believe it didn't happen, and I'm going to draw it out later. Mm-hmm. You know, But if you're past that year or if you, you're like, well, I kind of need that money, I'm spending it, so I guess I'm going to draw it early. Yeah, everybody would like to have more money coming in from Social Security later, but 
a lot of people draw it at 62, earliest yeah. chance they get. So how, how can you, the listener, plan to not have some of these regrets? So long-term care insurance, let's talk about that for a minute. For, for those that are considering long-term care pl- planning, including you know a nursing home, assisted yeah. living expenses, uh, that can deplete your assets very quickly if you're not covered. And somebody oh, turning no 65 today has almost a 70% chance of needing some kind of long-term care insurance. Yeah, and I, I, I know you have. I certainly, matter of fact, I had a discussion yesterday uh, with, with on this subject with someone. Um, the older you get, the more likely you are to wind up in long-term care. I, I always had the attitude of, yeah, but you know what? The sweet spot is 62 to 65 to buy it because before 62... Well, you know, hey, come on. Why am I spending this money? Yeah, it's it's, it's going to it's gonna be decades before I need it. And then at 60, I had open heart surgery. I had triple bypass. Well, guess what? Now the equation has changed for long term. I'm still going to get long term care, but it's tougher to qualify for and it's more expensive. Mm-hmm. So I, I changed my mind completely, my attitude completely on long-term care, yeah, maybe you do want to consider it when you're younger just in case something like that happens. Yeah, exactly. You know, so the whole key is make sure you at least make an informed decision before you retire on some of these subjects. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC. I'm Steve Sprovac along with Steve Ruby, and we're talking about some of the regrets retirees have that they wished they had done differently before they retire. So let's let's account for inflation. N- nearly two thirds of, of retirees said inflation and the rising cost of living was the biggest financial shock that they experienced in retirement. Well, we don't have inflation these days, do we? Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. Right. Yeah. It, this is a survey done uh, j- from January uh, to March of this year by Ed Jones in the Harris poll. And, and respondents cited that inflation being more than they expected was was accounting 22 percent for dental expenses, uh, 20% for major home repairs, um, declines in investment yep. value. Yep. All of these combined can can really throw a wrench in making sure your money lasts longer than you do. I, I think there's a lot of people that are su- surprised at why did the Federal Reserve step in and raise rates so much so quickly? Yeah, inflation got up to 9%. It'll probably come back down soon because it destroys financial plans. I mean, that's really the bottom line. Yep. Ask any retiree lucky enough to have a corporate pension who's maybe 20 years post-retirement, that $800 a month or $900 a month or whatever the number is, ain't buying what it bought when they first retired 20 years later. Yeah, I mean, that's the bottom line. It, it just does not. And, and that's also why, and not that I'm anti-CDs and safe investments and, and bank investments. Yeah, some of your money should be there. And I'm not into the stock market just because, well, that's what I do for a living and everybody should. No, it's it's you've got to stay at least on par and ideally a little bit of ahead, ahead of inflation with what your money is doing for you. And CDs on average, you know, if you're getting 3% and inflation is at 3%, not gonna cut it. you're not getting anywhere. You yeah. know, that's the bottom line. Inflation is a real bugaboo, not today, not tomorrow, but five, 10 years down the road, it will change your life and not in a good way. That's why it's so important to stay invested. Stocks over the long term. if we look back, back in the past couple hundred years, Stocks are the only thing that has outpaced inflation yeah. beyond everything else. Yeah. And, and and if you haven't, and I hate to bring this subject up, but if you haven't done this type of planning and, and set the stage, um, unfortunately, you may be one of those people that say, okay, I've got a spouse that's going in a nursing home, don't know what to do. 
maybe your last resort is a reverse mortgage or or a home equity line of credit or something like that. Not a place you want to be. No. Here's the all worth advice. Failing to plan. Yep. It's planning to fail. Coming up next, three ways to boost your social security payment that doesn't just involve taking it later. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Steve Sprovac along with Steve Ruby. Do you have a financial question you'd like for us to answer? Well, there's a red button you can click on while you're listening to the show on the iHeart app. Just record your question. It goes straight to us. Straight ahead, we're going to explore the different ways to budget. Let's see what resonates with you. All right, Ruby. So comes to Social Security. We talk about it because there's 81 different ways you can draw it. But there are, a, you know, there's certainly some strategies better than others. But we usually talk about some some of the, you know, more straightforward, well-known ways. There's some other ways that you can make sure you maximize your benefit. Yeah. So first of all, work a full 35 years. Yeah, well, that's important. Yeah, I know, right? Your benefit amount is calculated not just at the age at which you apply, but your highest 35 years of income. Yeah. This means that your Social Security payout calculation, its if there's any zeros in those years, then that's going to bring down the average quite a bit. Yeah, and, and that that's a concern, and I, I've dealt with this where, you know, maybe there's a an early retirement offer going through your company, and, oh, wait a second, I'm only 60 years old, and it's two more years before I can draw Social Security. That's two years of not paying in. That's going to kill my Social Security. My experience is it'll reduce it, but not drastically. Yeah, these are s- small differences, but nonetheless, it's something to keep in mind. It, it is. And what happens when you're in your 36th and 37th year of work is generally your peak earning years are going to be, you know, later in your career. Mm-hmm. You know, you've gotten the promotions and you're making more money and and all that good kind of stuff. And you know what? That 36th year is going to knock off the first year where you were working, you know, maybe part time or you know, 10 bucks an hour. Or what, yeah, whatever the case is. So every year you continue to work past that 35th year is taking off one of those low paying early years. And since your Social Security benefit is calculated on the highest 35 years, now you start to see an impact on on what your actual benefit is going to be. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about in, in 2023, the, the benefits of, of delaying. We talk about this all the time. You yeah. can collect at 62 at the youngest. For most people at this point, if you were born 1960 or later, 67 is your full retirement yep. age, 70 is when you max it. The absolute maximum benefit that you can earn at these key ages at 62 is just about twenty six hundred dollars. Sixty six is thirty five hundred. Seventy is about forty six hundred dollars. Yeah, and big difference if you wait. If you can afford to wait, exactly. You know? And we talk a lot about the break even. Well, yeah, but it's eleven, twelve, thirteen, maybe fifteen years before you pull more money out of the system by waiting. Are you going to live that long? Are you going to live those extra fourteen or fifteen years? That's a concern. It sure is. All right. I want to talk a little bit for the spouses who maybe have been divorced. Okay. Because this is really, really important. Generally, the first thing you're going to look at with Social Security is what's my benefit? You get on SSA.gov. Mm-hmm. That's the website to check your Social Security benefit. And it's going to tell you what your benefit is based on what you paid into the system. That's right. But if you were married, 
for more than 10 years and divorced and have not remarried. That's the key. You're Yeah, have not remarried. You are eligible to draw on your ex-spouse. And guess what? They don't need to know about it. They won't know about it, yeah. in fact, unless you tell them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you call like, hey, thanks for the benefits. But I this, appreciate this it. This is a but big deal. Af- yeah. You know, if your ex had a good paying job and has a, a large social security benefit, you may be eligible for half of what they receive even though you haven't been married for years to them, again, as long as you were married 10 years, 10 years, that previous marriage, Mm -hmm. if you were married 10 years, you can get up to half of what your ex-spouse's social security benefit is. They don't know about it. It doesn't come out of their pocket. Mm -hmm. And that may be substantially larger than your personal benefit. Very important. And not a lot of people are aware of this. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC. Uh, I'm Steve Sprovac, along with Steve Ruby, and we're talking about features of Social Security that may not be well known that will allow you to draw a better benefit. Okay, we talked about ex-spouses. How about current spouses? Yeah, I mean, the same thing goes there. If if your current spouse has a bigger benefit than you do, then you're able to collect half of the benefit once you reach full retirement. Whichever's higher. Yeah, whichever's it, higher. Your yeah. own. You have that choice. Ha- yeah. It, yeah. If theirs is higher is what I should say. Thank my, you for the correction. My, my wife falls into this category. She always worked, um, you know, a lot of times at the church that we belong to. And mm-hmm. sometimes it was part-time. Sometimes it was full-time. Well, guess what? Churches don't pay a lot of money. I mean, that's just the way it works. Not typically, no. Yeah. So, I mean, she uh, she's done some good work and she has a personal benefit, but it would pay her better if she drew a spousal benefit, which is half of my benefit. And that doesn't affect my benefit. When I when I decide to draw Social Security, I'll get what I get based on what I paid into the system. And if she draws a spousal, it'll be half of what I receive and does not reduce my benefit. I am shocked at how many people that are thinking about drawing Social Security that don't realize, wait a second, I thought I only was able to draw what my Social Security report says is my benefit and they don't think about their spousal benefit. Yeah, this is another one of those areas where sitting down with a fiduciary financial planner can shine some light on some of these strategies that maybe you were not aware of. I've sat down with people, you know, husband and wife, and I'll say that a lot of times the wife is the lower earner of of the two. And I'll say that uh, and explain the spousal benefit. You're kidding me. How come I never knew about this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I wait a second. And and he still gets what he gets, and I get mine in addition to his. Yes, it's called a spousal benefit, and you need to know about it if you don't already know about it. So one thing I, I do want to shine yeah. some light yeah. on is is your social security statement is not always accurate. No kidding. Yeah. The government? Wait a I, second. I know, right? Wait a second. I, I've I've seen this with my yeah. own eyes with, with folks that I work with logging yep. into SSA.gov. And you can look at your earnings record. If your earnings record has some numbers that are wrong, there's a number that you can and should call to make that adjustment because that's going to have an effect on what you receive from Social Security for the rest of your life. Yeah, and they will fix it. They're going to require some sort of proof. I mean, expect that. But yeah, you definitely want to check the earnings history. And if they show either a zero or a really low number and you know you were working that entire year paying into the system, Definitely follow up with Social Security because when you draw your benefit, it's based on what they have on their records. Mm-hmm. Here's the all worth advice it's best you hire a fiduciary financial advisor to make sure you get the most out of your Social Security benefit. Coming up next, we're talking about different kinds of budgeting. Let's see which one works for you. 
You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Steve Sprovac along with Steve Ruby. If you want to manage your money, and I hate to use the B word, but it all starts with having a budget, but there's there's different ways of going about it. It doesn't mean you have to sit down and say, hey, hun, what are we spending here? We got to cut back because that is a non-starter, at least in my household. Let's talk about some ideas on how you can go through, tra- I call it tracking your spending without the pain. Yeah, I mean, there's different ways that you can build a budget. And and right now, there, there was a study done by the National Foundation for Credit Counseling that showed only about half of Americans actually. I think that's optimistic. I, I don't even think it's half. Yeah, I do too. Actually, yeah. just yeah. being in the industry for people as long are as ashamed. I yeah, they're ashamed to say, no, I don't, I don't watch my spending. Yeah. You know? Well, let's talk about those that yeah. do and maybe those that might want to because there's ways that might work for you and there's ways that might not. One is the zero-based budget. It's simple. Your income each month minus your expenses must equal zero. In my opinion, a little bit too much accounting. Yeah. If if you like numbers and spreadsheets and spending time on it, go for it. Yeah, it's not me. No, it's not me either, but there's certainly people I work with that that are. How about the anti-budget? I I love the anti-budget, and and I've got a modification to that that I use in my house. The anti-budget is just saying... Hey, you pick an amount every month that you want to either put in the savings or use to pay off additional debt. You start with that and take that out first. And the rest of the money is for you to spend on whatever you want to spend. What I do is just an offshoot of that. I Every single month, and I've been doing this for years, I track, okay, how much is going to go for these fixed expenses some credit cards like the one I use for going out to dinner, I use an estimate, you know, whether it's 200 bucks, 300 bucks, whatever the number is. And I put that in every month and then I figure out, okay, if that's what I spend on these known items, what's left over goes into savings. And at the end of the month, I look at, did I put that much in savings or less? If I put less in, I figure out, all right, where'd the money go? I got to watch that a little bit better. It keeps me on my toes. Yeah, it sure does, huh? I mean, uh, that's a good way to look at it. I, I like the anti-budget because you 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 pay the boring stuff first and then you yeah. live with the leftovers, but you have to have leftovers to make exactly. that happen. Exactly. How about the Dave Ramsey envelope? Yeah, system? envelope. This one's good for people that have a history of buying stuff that they don't need. So if you've had trouble with credit cards in the past, really what you're doing is you're putting cash in envelopes. If you have no cash left in the envelope, you're not making a purchase. Well, and that's why it's tough to do. I know a couple of people that have gone through this system. It works, but oh, it's yeah. it's a brutal life change. Mm-hmm. Hey, thanks for listening. Tune in tomorrow. We're going to play a little retirement fact or fiction. You've been listening to Simply Money presented by Allworth Financial on 55KRC, the talk station. <laughs> 